just like new. <sighs> I just woke up. Don't tell me it's time already. Another episode. Welcome back to your 12th favorite podcast, Reeducated, where we reimagine, rethink, and reinvent education. It's your host, Gautam Yegapin, alive and blessed to present today's conversation. Stay thirsty for knowledge, and I guess water too. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I hope y'all are having yet another phenomenal week. It is our third episode in our ChatGPT series, and today we dive into the ways in which teachers can introduce AI into their classrooms. Today's guest is an amazing woman I met at the Future of Education conference, Rochelle Denae Poth. She is a Spanish and STEAM teacher who is also an attorney, author, and lecturer. She was selected in 2017 as the Outstanding Teacher of the Year by the Pennsylvania Association for Educational Communications in Technology and one of the 20 to watch educators selected by the NSBA. She has written The Unconventional Ways to Thrive in Education and The Future is Now, Looking Back to Move Ahead. If you would like to know more about her, I will be attaching her website to the show notes. So let's get to it. I actually met Rochelle when she was giving a lecture on ChatGPT and some of the conversations that arose in that room absolutely fascinated me. The rapid changes we've been recently witnessing in pedagogy can often be overwhelming for many educators. And so creating a plan to understanding ChatGPT among many other AI tools is crucial to helping these teachers succeed. And so in this conversation, We cover the intersection of tech and education, media literacy, AI in the classroom, and the shortcomings of assessments. I wanted to begin this discussion by understanding what information should we highlight when explaining AI and AI tools to educators. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here you go. Whenever I've done sessions at conferences or webinars, or even when I've written about it, a lot of what I, I do is I try to create kind of a, a similar situation, scenario, experience, whatever word you want to use for the people that I'm talking with or presenting to, that they can kind of take that away and use that in their classroom or use that with teachers. And with AI, there's so many resources out there to explore that it can feel like it's overwhelming. Like, where do I begin? But just like the basics, you know, what is AI? Where do we see it in our everyday lives? How is it impacting us in education, what does it look like in you know the future in the world of work or how are companies maybe using AI? And then look at some different tools and resources that are out there, of course, looking for ones that are free that teachers can access where it has everything. You know, it has a K through 12 curriculum or it, it's aligned to standards, for example, uh, or some things that are just fun to do and that that spark conversation and curiosity, both with the students and of course with us as the teachers too, because you know, we're not the experts. And I always say, I'm like, I'm not the expert. I just want to, like, my whole motivation is to make it easier for others to get started just by sharing my story and the story of my students and our experiences so that people can maybe connect with something or something resonates with them. And they feel like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, I can start with this in my classroom and I see the relevance and now I'm on my way. Mm. And so if we were to get straight into the chat GPT segment, what have you seen already? How have teachers been responding to this invention? That's a mixed, uh, it's a mixed answer because with a lot of things, there was the initial concern, like all of the negatives were coming across like, oh, it can, it can write an essay. It can do the homework, you know, the plagiarism issue. 
and with technology just across history, as long as we've known it, when things have been invented that made things easier or took away, you know, the amount of time that it would take for us to do something, for example, there was, you know, a fear of the unknown a little bit, a concern for what the possibilities were with it. Uh, and then in this case, you know, what is it going to take away from the students as far as like their own learning experiences, if they're reliant on this other resource? But, you know, I think that is a lot of what I was seeing and hearing in conversations. A lot of people were reaching out to me and saying like, what are we supposed to do? There's this chat GPT thing and, and the students are going to all turn in work that's not their own. And I kept saying, well, they kind of can do that now. They've been able to do that because we've had access to Google. We've had access to even before Google existed, you could get somebody else to write a paper for you. You could get somebody else to do your homework. That's not anything new. And so I think with this, just because of the speed at which it creates something and the way that you can put prompts in with any kind of parameters and whatever you want and how quickly it, it creates something, uh, that was a, a big point for teachers. It's like, how do you get around that? You know, how do you stop it? And then the flip side of the conversation was, okay, now we have this thing. So we know that it's not going away or we don't think it's going away. So how can we leverage that and bring it in and teach about it and learn about it with our students and not be afraid of it? Because like I said, and we all we read news about it every day or, you know, there's always a breaking news alert that's coming up about something new or there's this new feature with it, uh, just understanding it. And for our students, and this is what, I mean, I've realized as an educator, and I'm sure a lot of educators, if not all educators realize too, is you know, we are in the position to help students understand whatever there is that comes up. In this case, ChatGPT, uh, anything, they're in our classrooms. And so we all should be working together to learn about the technology, to problem solve together and to figure out like what to do with it. How does it benefit or how can it benefit you? But then, you know, what are the drawbacks? And I think that's something that regardless of what grade level you teach content area, you know, you always have to have those kind of conversations to weigh things out. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, well, I just had a conversation with somebody. We were talking about like how much time we we both spent independently exploring all of the things that you can do with ChatGPT. And as a language teacher, for years, I was telling students, "Don't you use a translator? Like, just don't do it. You're going to get a zero. And did that stop them? No. It may have stopped them in my classroom because if they didn't use their devices or anything, but at the end of the day, they could still go and use it. Uh, the lesson to be learned from that is I stopped saying don't use it and I gave them a lesson and we went through and I actually had them use a translator uh, to do an assignment one time and then they wrote it on their own and we compared it and so we use it as like a learning tool so for me I think you know there are definitely benefits of it I think it's great for a lot of reasons like if you're having trouble, you have to write a story and you just need a, a start or you need some ideas about a story or you have like random variables. Like it can be fun to create something with and to explore it with students. Uh, I have a lot of friends that are trying it out in their classrooms, just doing different things, things I, I thought, gosh, I didn't even know it could do that. You know, you hear all of these different ways that it can be used, but I, I'm just curious about it. And uh, I think it's kind of fun to use, but there are some things that scare me about it. And that comes down to, you know, the, uh, the privacy and the security and the information that it stores and what's done with that information. But that's something that we need to be really vigilant about checking into as well when we bring technology into our classrooms. Mm. And so, you know, I'm curious because you mentioned you had a lot of these friends that are using it in innovative ways. What are some of those ways? Uh, generating uh, essay prompts, uh, mm. tests, lesson plans, 
uh, curriculum guides. I'm trying to think what else. Poems. They're using them for creative stories. Uh, there were, you know, lists for ideas for party. I mean, some personal reasons, some professional reasons. Writing emails, writing cover letters, letters of recommendation. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of even what else other things that people have done. But, you know, I've used it a couple of times like to write tweets just to see the consistency. And I'll have it regenerate the responses a couple of times to see if it comes up with the same or similar responses. Because that's the other thing is if you ask it to write like a 500 word essay on whatever the topic is, and then it writes it, and then you regenerate it a couple of times, some of that wording is still the same. And so like as a teacher, if a student, if multiple students turn in and you have the very same sentence structure and words, you can tell if it's been written by, you know, if it's a 10th grader and it's written at a level of, you know, somebody who's like higher education or if it's an elementary student, like you will be able to tell. But uh, it's just been interesting to ask it to write some tweets and to see what it puts together and then to compare with, you know, what I might write. And I think like, gosh, like that's pretty good. Um, if I need answers really quickly, I test it out just to see out of curiosity because, yeah, I know how to do a Google search. But when you want an answer fast, like a description for something in science, for example, and uh, you don't want to go through all of those resources on Google, just pop in that question in a chat GPT and see what it comes up with is it's kind of fun. Um, mm. But again, you got to be careful with the information and and all of that. And, you know, I certainly don't want my students just relying on this technology to do their work because that's not doing them any good, but to understand how it works and the functionalities of it and also the limitations of it too, because you can't always trust everything that's on the internet. That's a great point. You know, I think this concept of reliance that you're talking about is something that's really interesting because, you know, as we move forward in time, it feels like certain skills kind of lose the importance that they have. So, I mean, one that I can maybe think of is spelling. I mean, I think there was a time where if you were writing everything, you'd have to make sure you were spelling every word properly. Now, when you have so many tools that will just correct your writing, your spelling errors for you, it, it, it's not necessarily the most important skill. I think another one, another English teacher had talked about was handwriting, for example. That's not something that needs to be placed, you know, as much uh, emphasis as was placed before. I mean, I think a lot of schools don't spend time teaching cursive anymore. And so it, it's interesting because it's like, what skills do we feel are important no matter what the period of time is? So like, my dad is always talking about how, oh, okay, well, now that you use your phone all the time to for maps and directions, you're going to lose that sense of being able to read a map. And I think that's a great point. But there becomes a point in time as well where that skill may just not be that necessary anymore, or there may be other skills that are more important. And so one thing I'm really curious about is like with the introduction to ChatGPT, do you feel, and I guess just AI in our day-to-day -day world, do you feel like there's a shift in what skills are needed for a human to, to lead a, a good, whatever good life is? That's a tough question um, because now I'm thinking about some of the skills that you mentioned, like spelling, where, you know, it underlines or it, it suggests, you know, it's like so quick, but even in some of those tools that are out there, it does make mistakes because even recently, you know, it's tried to autocorrect something and it wasn't the correct spelling. Uh, cursive writing, goodness, I remember learning that years ago and students now always say like, we don't learn that anymore in handwriting because we're so reliant on, you know, not even typing to an extent. I mean, reliant on like the voice to text. I had a conversation with a colleague the other day about, they said, you know, how do you write so much? And I said, well, I don't just sit down and type all the time. I rely on like the voice to text. And then 
it makes mistakes. And then I have to think about like, what did I say that could have possibly sounded like these words that came out and I fix it. So it is a time saver, but you know, I think we always are, are likely to rely on some form of technology, whether it's something like our phones, which have really become like the centerpiece uh, of what we do. And it's amazing, you know, years ago, when I, I teach my eighth grade students and I say, do you know that like what you have in your hand right there, like back in this decade, you would have needed like 30 or 40 different things to do what that one phone does. Um, but anyway, you know, the skills, we're still going to need to have those skills. And when it comes to, you know, whatever the technology is or using chat GPT and artificial intelligence and whatever's on the internet, students still need to be literate. They need to have media literacy skills and to be able to process information and be able to tell what is, you know, accurate, what is inaccurate, uh, close reading skills. You know, you're still going to have to read, you're going to have to communicate. And whether that's because you've handwritten something, you've typed something in, you're talking on the phone or you're using the voice functionality of whatever, you know, like texting, for example, or just even recording a message, you still have to develop, you know, language skills and writing skills because later on, whenever you have whatever your job is in the future, which may or may not exist today, because we know that jobs are changing, you might go to a job where they say, hey, guess what? We're not using computers. We're using like paper ledgers. You know, we're not doing any banking online. We're not using spreadsheets. You have to write all of this. And if that happens, students, we as educators and people in general still need to have those same skills, the underlying like skill sets to do a lot of things that we could do without the technology. So adding up problems, you might not have a calculator, let alone on your phone. I mean, the phone's convenient, but back in the day, you actually had a calculator. So, um, you know, we still have to teach students all of the basic skills and mine in my class, even my Spanish classes will say, well, why do we have to write this whole sentence down? Why can't we just abbreviate? I said, because you're learning the language, you have to learn all the components of it. What am I going to use this in life? I said, well, I, I don't know. We need Spanish teachers, but it's still going to help you later on because you never know what's going to happen in the future and how the skills that you are building now might come into play and give you an opportunity or take an opportunity away from you. Mm. And so, you know, in, in your work, where do you feel like the intersection of technology and education lies? Yeah. So years ago, um, I was very much against getting like a smart board in my classroom. I just, I didn't see the need for it because I'm like, I can just write on the board or we can go with the computer lab and I can have students do activities. Then I got the smart board because it seemed like everybody was getting the smart board and it was like, what a difference. So now it's more interactive and I can display things and I can kind of interact with it. And then over the years, progressively adding more and more technology. And then you, you head into, you know, March of 2020, when everything is online and then there's just this overconsumption of the technology and everybody's kind of like burnt out by the use of so much tech and then back into our classrooms that's trying to find that balance because we are on our devices and using technology a lot of the time. And so for me, when it comes to things in my classroom, you know, I am careful sometimes because some days I, and I reflect all the time, I think, wow, I, I didn't use any of the technology. Like we didn't play any games today. I didn't do any interactive lessons or anything using really other than displaying the lesson plans and the objectives of the day. And there are some days I feel like, oh, all I did was like, we had a video, we did some audio activities, we played a couple games to review. And I feel like I was just so reliant on the technology. And so finding that balance. And I think the key is like, what is your goal? Like, what do you want students to learn? Like, what is like the why behind it? And that's a big question for me is like, 
why do you need this? How is it going to improve or enhance or amplify the learning experiences and the potential of students? And then evaluating, you know, on an ongoing basis, okay, so I use this game-based learning tool and students were really engaged and their, you know, assessments, the scores went, went up and they remembered the information. That's great. But then if you look at something and like, it's not that much different than what you could have done, you know, like one example would be like, okay, here's a worksheet on paper, or I put the worksheet online and they just write on it online. Like that's not anything purposeful, but if students get to create something or if they have choices and things, mm. that's what makes a big difference. And, uh, and I'm kind of like all over the place with this answer, but this is, this is like my thought process on a daily basis, because some of the classes that I teach, I teach twice a day. And I don't always, I mean, years ago, I did pretty much the same thing. And one year I had like four or five of the same Spanish one class all day. And I was just looping through, you know, tweaking it maybe a little bit throughout the day, but essentially it was the same lesson. Now it's, I change it up all the time because it's, you know, not the same thing works for every single student and the class dynamics are different. The timing and the pacing is going to be different. And so I am constantly reevaluating and also asking students for feedback on, you know, what, what I am doing in my classroom. Like, what did you think about like this activity? Did it help you? And um, most recently I totally changed like my thought process, like literally three minutes into class. I, I said, I have a different idea. Like I had everything on the board, what we were going to do. And then I said, I have a different idea. And I'm like, so we're not doing that. I said, no, we're doing something different. And I didn't use any tech that day. And they were a little bit upset because they wanted to play the game. But then after we did these different activities, the very next morning, I did this really quick activity using the game. And they like, it was so quick and the hands-on, the interactive, the paper that we used and the activity, it was just like ripped notebook paper, made such a, a difference in how they grasped the content that I was teaching and they focused on it more and they were writing, which was different because they're so used to, you know, responding on the phones and it was forcing them to write, but use their resources and their notebooks to do it. And it just, it, it went so much better. And in the past, I always use that tech because it is great for giving me like that quick assessment and like, how are the students doing? Where are some areas I can improve on? Or where do they need some extra activities or that I need to reteach maybe? But then even using just those hands-on paper materials too, give students that chance to like get away from the tech and get me away from the tech and to have more, you know, that interpersonal connections with them. Mm, I think that that point of using tech purposefully is a really good point because it's like if what you're doing is simply just converting what you could have done in person onto the internet, it, it doesn't really take on a lot of the benefits that doing things on technology can. And so one thing I'm really interested about is at that conference, you know, we, we had seen that at the expo, there was just thousands and thousands of new products. And I feel like it can actually be quite overwhelming in the space of education. So when tech moves so fast, and this is a question I, I really love asking is, is how can education keep up? Yeah, so that's where kind of the overwhelm can happen because there are so many tools. Even since FETC, there have been a lot of new features added to tools that teachers are using. There are new tools that have AI. I mean, AI is really the big thing right now with a lot of the functionality and even some of the tools that teachers have been using for years. Some of the game-based learning tools um, have a lot of AI functionality built into them. And you know, the number of emails that I get with like, hey, check out this new feature or try this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's awesome to have so many choices. And I think, you know, it's it's great to have so many choices. But again, like I said, that overwhelm. And for teachers, I think having, you know, a couple of resources that you know that are that are going to work if you're in person, if you're remote, if you're hybrid, 
that span across grade levels and different content areas. And probably, I mean, more importantly than that too, is like the accessibility component of it. You know, one feature, one functionality that I really like in a lot of the tools is having the immersive reader. So students that are building their language skills and it you know, uses AI and it can have the words read to them. It can translate into different languages. Like there are a lot of really awesome features that it has. And a lot of the tools out there have that. And so teachers who are looking for some things to work with students uh, or even the personalized learning with AI and some of those game-based learning tools where students can start at the same question, but then based on their answers, it's going to give them a different question or it's going to see patterns in what they're getting right, what they're getting wrong, and give them some new questions to help them to build in that area uh, makes a difference. And for teachers trying to sort through all of that, it's tough. And, and that's why you need to be like connecting at conferences or involved in some different communities, because it can be tough to find something that's going to work or to know where to start with something or to know what the benefits of it are. But yeah, when you walk into those expo halls and you just see like the tech everywhere and you know the monstrous Promethean boards and different screens and uh, esports and things, you're like, I'm not sure what that is. And all the coding, like it's awesome, but it's also overwhelming because it makes you like, I want to do all the things. And realistically, we can't. So we have to think about, okay, what's our purpose? What's our goal? Okay, how is this going to help us achieve that goal? And then continue to evaluate that. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really good point because it seems like there are certain skills, like fundamental skills, for example, like you said, media literacy. I think no matter what time you lived in, whether it was a thousand years ago or now, while the type of media has changed, being media literate, whether it was gossip on the streets or whether it was reading the newspaper or a book, is an extremely important skill. And I feel like like that, same as basic arithmetic, I think there's just certain skills that no matter what time period you're in is useful. And so figuring out what tools can help you actually develop those is, I think, the way to approach the questions about, okay, what tech do we need in the classroom? And so you've done work with assessment, correct? Yes. So how, is, how, did, so how did you kind of get into that? Uh, honestly, just with testing things out in my classroom, because I, gosh, I have to think back now how many years ago, probably seven or eight years ago, I think I started to really look at the, the meaning of assessment. And again, I was teaching how I've been taught for many years and using quizzes and projects and all the same things that I did when I was a student that worked for me as a learner. I was just basically doing that in my classroom. And I, I misunderstood what assessments were. I thought it had to be a test, like a paper or some product, you know, that was visible and you handed it in and you graded it. But then uh, learning at conferences and doing some research and working on my master's back around that same time, I learned that, you know, assessment can take many forms besides just those ones that I was using in my classroom. Like it can be a, a quick conversation. It can be an observation, those interactions that you have. And so I really just started to dive into trying some different things in my classroom without necessarily knowing what direction I was headed in. But I knew that what I had been doing wasn't working well, or it wasn't working, I mean, as well as it could have been because I wasn't changing because I was doing what was comfortable. And so once I started to kind of break away from that, all right, here's a project, everybody do the same thing, or I have to give you a test every Friday, you know, those types of things. And just having a quick conversation or a quick a piece of paper and asking them a question and seeing assessment in different ways and formats, you know, different than what I had done for the first, I'm not going to say how many years of teaching, um, opened my eyes to it more 
And uh, it's definitely changed me. And I think it's helped students to look at assessments a little bit differently too, and, and take away a little bit of the pressure. And so what, what, what have you found to be the purpose of assessment for you? Uh, for, for my own learning? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess like for the way you understand education. Yeah, just to be able to understand where you are in the learning process. Like, mm. for example, I, I want my students to be able to speak in Spanish. Will they be able to be you know, perfect, no mistakes? No, because I'm a native English speaker and I've spoken English for a very long time and I make a lot of mistakes on any given day. And the goal in, you know, with assessment is you want to understand where students are in learning and you want them to be able to understand that as well because you're developing that self-awareness and knowing, okay, for kids, especially in learning a language, it, it's tough. There's a lot of fe fear of failure, of making mistakes. There's a lack of confidence. It's uncomfortable because you're speaking a different language. And they, they're afraid to try something because they're going to get it wrong or they feel like they're going to fail. And with assessments, even if it's, you know, them recording an, uh, like them reading something, for example, my class, and then I, it's just me listening to it. I can give them feedback and it can help them to set new goals. Uh, it can evaluate, you know, how are you preparing for class? What are you doing to kind of learn how to conjugate those verbs or to use that vocabulary? But with assessment, you know, even though nobody necessarily, I mean, I never minded taking tests. Uh, I never mind grading tests. I like to know how students are doing. I'm always so quick to grade, you know, a quiz or whatever, because I want to know. And I want for them to know because they need that to be able to continue to build their skills and figure out what they're interested in too. Because like what they're learning in my classroom, hopefully some of them will go on to major in Spanish or become Spanish teachers because we need them. But later on in life, they may not be taking tests, but they're going to need to be able to assess their skills and whatever it is that they're doing. So in their job, whatever that might be 10 years from now, it could be a job that we've not yet heard of. Um, they're going to need to understand, you know, what their capabilities are, what skills they have, what skills they need to develop, and also, you know, who to ask for help and be comfortable with asking for help. And all that comes from being assessed. I mean, even as teachers, you know, we're assessed, we have evaluations, and whether or not we like them, I mean, they're for our our benefit there to help us to grow you know professionally to be the best for our students so we have to kind of embrace that ourselves but also do that within our own classrooms um to best understand students i think that's a great point of you know another way of looking at assessment where it can be a a tool for people to kind of be like how can i improve or in what places am i i think sometimes it can where it, that can get difficult is because it feels like grades are often for others it is to show either your college or to show, I don't know, your friends or family or whatever it is, where the assessment no longer feels like it's about you and your own like growth. And so how do you kind of merge the two, of those two intentions where someone, you may be giving assessments where it's like, okay, well, this helps me recognize I'm not good in these three areas and I can maybe work on that versus the grade being used to be like, okay, well, now you have to report this to the principal or now you have to report this to the district. Like how, how do you kind of balance those two? Yeah, it's, you know, and something you said reminded me of a conversation I had with a student years ago, and she actually contributed uh, to a couple of my books I wrote. And one of her stories was talking about, you know, grades and assessment and over time, you know, this fear of failure that, that students have of making mistakes and, you know, of these tests and everything, and that it's really uncomfortable. Uh, and through project-based learning that we did in my classroom, she said that was the first time up into her junior year where she stopped caring about the grades. Like she just cared about what was I, she said, I didn't care if I got an F. She said, I just wanted to know like, what could I do next? Like what else, how could I improve? 
where could I go? Because we were looking at the sustainable development goals, for example. And she was very curious about like other places that were experiencing some challenges. And she was like, how can I find a solution to this? And definitely, I mean, she was practicing Spanish too in the process, but that conversation that was probably five years ago. And for a, a junior to say that and to openly write about that, you know, it's a good lesson for educators too, to think about you know, what is the purpose of assessment? And when I give, you know, a quick quiz in my class or something, I'm very careful about, you know, handing their papers back. I do not say their grades. I don't post their grades or anything, but of course, you know, you have the students that are like, I got this grade. They shouted out to their friends and it's very competitive. And I'm like, this is, this is for you um, to know, but it's, it's tough for students. And, and even as adults, you know, you think back to classes that you had where maybe you tried really hard. You did everything right that you could. You studied all hours a night. You walked away with like a C, a D or an F. I mean, I tell my students all the time, like I've got a couple Fs in geometry and I, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. I said, I know, but it was that I didn't understand like how to study, how to prepare. And once I knew that, I got straight A's the rest of the year and I ended with a C and, you know, we had pop quizzes and everything for the first, you know, once I realized that we were going to start having pop quizzes, I put a little extra time, but, you know, there's a lot of conversations around assessment and with classes in some schools, you know, some teachers in some schools, uh, my friends have said that, you know, they are required to give a certain amount of assessments, like of quizzes, of projects, of tests, um, also final exams and midterms throughout the year. And then of course you have all the standardized testing that goes on. So they're, there's constantly assessment, but it's just you know, critical in the teaching and learning process and being able to, you know, assess students. And for me as a teacher, if I give students an assessment, whether it's on paper or using some digital tool, and I see that they didn't do so well, the first thing that I wonder is like, what did I not do? Like, how did I mess up in providing instruction for them? And what can I do to help them to improve? And so like, that helps me to understand what I need to do in my own work to help them to improve. But then on, you know, a school level, in a small school, especially like I have a small school that I teach in, you know, you want to work with your colleagues or you want to engage in like cross-curricular collaboration or something and being able to have conversations about the types of assessments that you're using. And then even just how students respond to certain types of assessment. And then at the district, I mean, it just keeps going up and up. So everybody mm -hmm. needs to be involved in the conversations because, I mean, a school, the school system is accountable for students that are taking those standardized tests and the students are being prepared in all of our classrooms. And so we all, even if, you know, like Spanish is not one of the standardized tests, but I still have a responsibility to help students build skills in my class that could be part of what those standardized tests are covering. And, um, you know, it's, it's a big, what's the word to, to use for it? Uh, I don't want to say it's a pain point because that's not the best way to, to describe it, but that's the only thing that's coming to my mind right now because it can be scary. And, you know, for me, like I said, I always thought it had to be like one certain thing uh, and it had to be a constant thing, like every Friday kind of a quiz, but it doesn't have to be like that. And that brings us to the end of our conversation. I first wanted to thank Rochelle for all of her insight and experience. As we get closer to closing off this ChatGPT arc on this podcast, one thing stands clear to me. That education and our relationship with knowledge needs to adapt. We are still following educational models that were built for times that are no longer similar to the ones we live in today. We must incorporate tech and AI literacy into all teacher training. It would be quite an unnuanced approach to simply ignore the power of AI and simply deem it to be either the savior or destroyer of current education. 
I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, and I will see you next week. And as per usual, stay re-educated.